Father God, we thank you that you're a good God. You love us, you forgive us, you bless us, you lead us, you guide us. You're on our side. You're for us and not against us. And we thank you, Lord. And because of that, we do praise you. We do rejoice today. And we say thank you, God, for all the good things that you've done in our life and that you promised to do. We give you praise today and all God's people shouted. Come on, church, give God a shout. Amen, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Well, it's been a great service so far. I don't know about you, but I've been blessed so far. And we have, today's a special day. We've got so many things after the service, so please stick around afterwards. You know, you may, you may have noticed, if you saw the signs outside and as you came in, that the theme of, of this service today is love your life. You know, it is, it is really important not just that you actually successfully get from birth to death, but that maybe you enjoy some of the experiences you have in the process. And the Bible actually says a lot about living life to the full, loving life, loving the gift of life generally, loving your life specifically. And so today we're calling this love your life uh, or love life in general. And that is, this is actually taken from our kind of one of our mission statements or, or mottos, if you like, that we use here at Gateway Church. And um, that is, we say, love God, love people, love life. And we didn't just invent that. I mean, actually, if you, if you look around, you'll find that there are other churches that use those three phrases as well. I think we came up with it first and they stole it from us. But anyway, there are other churches that use it. No, we didn't come up with it. Jesus himself came up with it, as we'll see in a little while, that that is an abbreviation of something that Jesus said. And Jesus said that that was the most important thing that you could learn. Love God, love people, and love life. You know, I'm sure you've seen this a lot. Uh, I've seen it posted on social media quite a bit. But the, um, some surveys were done, were carried out with doctors and nurses that, that work in, in uh, departments in a hospital that have a lot of terminally ill patients. And they gathered a lot of data to find out what are the five top regrets of people who are dying. And this is what they said, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, but, and it's not that unusual. <clears throat> I wish, this is what people who are lying on their deathbed are wishing for. They're not wishing for a Lamborghini. They're not wishing for a lottery jackpot win. They know their life is over and they are finally evaluating what is important compared to what isn't. I wish I had, that I had had the courage to live a life true to myself. 
Now you have to read these phrases with the correct attitude. These are the regrets of the dying. This isn't, this isn't like a 16-year-old with a stinking attitude saying, well, stuff you, I'm going to live a life true to myself. That is not what this is, okay? <laughs> I wish, um, I wish I had lived a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish that I hadn't worked so much. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Nobody says that. <laughs> I wish that I hadn't worked so much or, and maybe this is more importantly, I had worked at something I loved. I fully understand that it is very appropriate at certain points in life to do a job whether you like it or not. I mean, like, there is no, there is no honor in saying I'm going to set about being unemployed until the job I love comes along. In fact, the Bible says you have to prove yourself faithful in little before you will be made ruler over much. And there is a time of learning the ropes and everything else. But if you are going through whole decades of your life doing a job you hate, I think you should take this advice now and not wait till you're dying. I wish that I had had the courage to express my true thoughts and feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with friends, families, family and friends and loved ones more. I know when you've got little kids and they need everything done and you've got other responsibilities in life, it can look like you've got a lot to do. But again, nobody lying on their deathbed says, I wish I had spent less time with the kids before they grew up. Nobody says that. I wish I had let myself be happy. Do you notice that let myself be happy? These are the things that people regret when they're dying. Now, would it be a good idea if we took that advice today and began to change the way we live and actually began to enjoy our life and love our life and experience life and live your full God-given potential? You know, there's a, there's a phrase I don't know who originally invented it, but it's quoted a lot. I quote it all the time. And it goes like this. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to him. Now, what are you doing with your life? Are you doing nothing with it? Are you doing things that are unhappy or things that are dysfunctional or things that are unhealthy or things that are destructive? If so, it's time to change. Now, those are the regrets of the dying. But what about the regrets of the living? Because I've met a lot of people who are alive and aren't happy about being alive. I've met a lot of miserable living people. In fact, I've met more people who are miserable who are alive than who are actually dead. <laughs> so, what about people who are alive and who are regretting their life, the regrets 
of the living. I've got a really great quote here by Alfred de Souza, and it says this, for a long time it seemed to me that my life was about to begin, real life. But there was always some obstacle in the way, something to be gotten through first, some unfinished business, time still to be served, a debt to be paid, then life could begin. At last it dawned on me that these obstacles were my life. If only the kids could hurry up and get out of diapers, then my life would be better. If only the kids would hurry up and go off to school, then I would have some spare time. If only the kids would hurry up and get married, then I could get my life back. And then you're lying in your deathbed. If only I had spent more time with the kids. The obstacles are very often we are complaining. We're like an artist who's been given a palette of colors. You've got blue, yellow, white, gold, black, green. But you're sitting crying because you don't have any red. And the person next door's got red, and I want red, and my life's miserable. I don't know what your palette of colors are. It could be gifts, it could be skills, it could be a career, it could be family members who love you, it could be friends. It could, I don't know what, what your palette of colors is, but your job is not to complain and make yourself miserable because somebody else has something in their palette that you don't. Your job is to look at your palette of colors and paint a beautiful masterpiece out of your life with what God has given you. That's what you need to do. Those obstacles are your palette of colors to make your life a masterpiece. Now, I know you probably think that what I'm, I'm going to say next is, all you need to do is believe in God and then your life will be happy. But that's not true because I've met plenty of people who believe in God who are so miserable I wouldn't want to hang about them. I mean, I've been to some churches. I actually left a church early one day and went to a bar because the people there were happier than they were in the church. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I had to get out, it was, it was miserable, the place. it was like a graveyard. At least there was life in the bar, you know. <laughs> so, I'm not saying that because there are lots of people who have faith in God and still aren't happy. Because they, although they've got faith in God, they're, they're waiting to get this stinking life over and done with and die so they can finally get to heaven. Jesus does promise us eternal life in heaven, but he also promises, promises us an abundant life here and now. You get pie in the sky when you die, and you get steak on the plate while you wait. It's both life, people, it's both. I actually was reading the other day an article, a, a website, and it was one of these kind of self-help, uh, not self-help, one of these kind of, you know, like, um, you know, people write in and say, oh, I'm unhappy about my relationships. What advice can you, you know, what do you call those things? Advice column, okay, an advice column there. An advice column, it was an advice column. And it was a Christian advice column. I don't know who the advisor was, don't know. His name isn't anywhere or her name isn't anywhere. For all I know, he's 14 years old and lives in his mother's basement and is sitting on a computer, I don't know. But listen to this, I want to just read you this advice. So here's a person who believes in God and still does not love their life, does not enjoy life. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but I just can't seem to shake my hatred for life. Now, this guy's got a few issues, as we'll see. One of his issues is the same one as the D'Souza quote we just read. He is seeing the things in his life as obstacles and an ordeal, right? So his view of life, his perception of life is bad. And his perception of God is that God is some big cosmic dictator. So his perception of God is bad. So he says here, I just can't seem to shake my hatred for life. I don't want God to brainwash me into enjoying life. Okay. And having to put up with cheesy smiles and fake handshakes from people at church. I have gone to church all my life and I've always hated it. In fact, I've pretty much always hated life. I'm just so tired and I feel like life is just one long depressing chore that I'd rather not have ever been assigned. But I've always been told that if you take your own life, you will go to hell. I don't know what to do. Here's the advice, which I'm not giving, okay? <laughs> I will be honest with you. I hope that's what you really want. If you kill yourself, you will go immediately to hell. Because God is in the business of punishing people with mental health issues, I guess, according to this guy. Anyway, um, what is life about? You think it's a time for having fun? No, it's not. It's about getting right with God. Well, I hope that guy never becomes a pastor. That's all I can say. What a terrible image of God and what a terrible image of life. One of my favorite authors from over 100 years ago was a guy called Wallace Wattles. And here's a quote from him. I love this quote. He says, get rid of the idea that God wants you to sacrifice yourself for others and that you can secure his favor by doing so. God requires nothing of the kind. What he wants is for you to make the most of yourself, for yourself and for others. And you can help others more by making the most of yourself than by any other method. Isn't that one of the wisest things you've ever heard? How can I help others? by making the most of yourself. I mean, like if you're a basket case yourself, you're not gonna be able to help anybody else, but if God has put you back together and you've got a joy for living and you're filled with optimism and enthusiasm and you're discovering strategies for successfully overcoming life's difficulties, what a, what a blessing you can be to other people. But if you're all just in the the dungeon together, comforting one another, you've got nothing to offer. God wants you to make the most of yourself, for yourself and for others. And that's how you help other people. In fact, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't want a quote by an author from 1860. I want a quote from the Bible. Yesterday, just yesterday, I was flicking through Facebook and I saw somebody had posted something, nobody here, I didn't know the person, somebody had posted something and they said, I'm still trying to find the verse in the Bible that says God wants you to be happy. Because he, doesn't, he wants you to be holy, not to be happy. 
what like is a choice. You can either be holy and miserable or sinful and happy. Is that the choice? I thought sin would, there's an old phrase, I don't know if it's used much here, but in the UK we used to use it. If somebody had a miserable face, we would say, they're as miserable as sin. Not as miserable as holiness, as sin, right? And I, start, I thought, I'm going to answer this person. So I, start, I deleted it, I didn't post it. But I'll tell you what I post, because it's not worth it. You know, it's just not worth it, you know? But I, I typed, don't worry, I found the Bible verse for you. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here it is. It is good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the days of their life which God has given them and to accept their place in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God. You said it, Lord, and I'm an open door. Just come on and pour it in, right? It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. Everybody say enjoy. To enjoy your work and accept your place in life, this accept your place in life doesn't mean shut up and accept your place in life. It means accept who you are, the gifts that God has given you. You know, God hasn't made you somebody else. He's made you you. And when you finally enjoy who you are and realize that you're a unique person and stop trying to be like somebody else and accept your place in life, it brings joy. This is indeed a gift from God. Now here's the verse. Are we ready for it? God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they have no time to brood over the past. Stick that on your bathroom mirror when you wake up in the morning and look at it. God wants you to enjoy life. I read a, an article recently by a top psychologist who had, um, I'm not gonna read it because it's too long, but let me just find his name. Martin Seligman who was made president of the American Psychological Association. And this is what he said. When he was made president and he gave his speech to this room full of distinguished psychiatrists and psychologists, he said this. He said, I have been working on helping people with depression for 30 years. And he said, I've got some news for you, ladies and gentlemen. I think we're doing it all wrong. Because we know everything there is to know about depression but we've never actually spent time studying happy people. Maybe we should study happy people to see what makes them happy, and then we'll have some advice to advise the depressed people with. What an amazing concept. <laughs> and so, folks, there is a way that we can create happiness. There's a, there's a way that God has designed humans in such a way that we can be our greatest asset or our worst enemy. We can constantly self-sabotage our own happiness or we can build a happier life. So let's just talk for a moment about creating happiness. You're happy when you're fulfilled. When you feel fulfilled, you're happy. 
And there's one thing that makes you feel fulfilled more than anything else. And that's when you are doing the things that you were designed to do. You know, I have never, sw- I've never hit a golf ball in my life, apart from like, in, you know, into like the lion's mouth and miniature golf or something like that. You know, over the waterfall, that kind of thing. But not in a proper golf course. But I can tell I'm not going to a proper golf course. I can tell I'm not good at this and I'll be bored with this in 10 minutes. I am not going to develop a dream in my life to become a championship golfer and beat Tiger Woods. That's my dream. I'm not going to do that because that skill set's not part of my life. It's not what I want to do. But when I find out the things that God has given me, the gifts, the talents, the desires, the dreams, the abilities, the strengths, also the weaknesses and all that as well, when I find out what I have been uniquely designed to do and I do it, there is joy, there is fulfillment in doing the things that I enjoy doing, that I'm good at doing, that I was designed to do. But if I spend time trying to do the things that I was not designed to do, like vacuum the carpet, then there's no joy in it. There's no happiness in that for me. And so, and here's the thing, you will find fulfillment when you fulfill your purpose. And your purpose is always about serving others. Maybe, maybe you think your purpose is a singer, and you're going to be up here saying, I feel it in my body, right? <laughs> he wasn't singing that for his benefit. If so, he could have done it in the shower all alone. That was to serve others. Everything we do is to serve other people. And you find fulfillment when you do something that you are good at and you enjoy and other people are happy with the result. You find fulfillment when you fulfill your purpose. Your purpose is always about serving others. Happiness is neither selfish nor selfless. Some people say, well, it's selfish to want to be happy. I need to spend myself on other people, be selfless. Remember Wallace Wattles? He says, God wants nothing of the sort. The best way you can serve others is when you are full to overflowing yourself. It's fulfilling your unique purpose to serve others and being fulfilled by doing so. This is what Jesus spoke about. This is the thing I mentioned right at the beginning. Jesus was asked once what the most important thing was, and he turned the question back on the guy asking him. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Can I just say something about religious people? (laughs) Most of them are not happy. (laughs) And they're always trying to test you to see if you believe the right thing and you're living the right way and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas Jesus, instead of going about testing people, he went about loving people. He went about forgiving people. He went about healing people. He went about hanging out with people. He went to parties with people. He attended weddings that people were having. 
while they were all in their unhappy testing mode. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You are right, Jesus said. Do this and you will, what's the next word? If you want to live, if you want to truly, really live your life, here's the recipe. Whatever your uniqueness is, whatever your unique gifts, your unique purpose, the unique path that you're going to travel down in life, here is the general principle that applies to all of them, all of us. If you want to truly live, there are three things that Jesus recommends. Number one, love God. Love God with your whole being. Now, it's hard to love God if you think God is going to brainwash you to make you happy against your will like that poor guy wrote. But if you have a right image of God, if you have a true image of God, if you can really believe the words and the songs that we sang, that he is good, that he is kind, that he breaks all the chains off of us, that he brings us out of the grave we've been in, that he gives us a new life, that he's for us and not against us. If you can truly believe the image of God that Jesus came to reveal, that God is a good God, a loving God, a kind God. He's your father. He's a loving parent. He wants the best for you. He's rooting for you. If you believe that, then it's easy to love a God who loves you unconditionally anyway. God's first. Put God first. And then he says, and love your neighbor. And that doesn't just mean your next door neighbor. Jesus was clear later on that your neighbor is anybody that you come across. Love, love God Love people as yourself. Love people as you love yourself. Some people don't like themselves. I remember when I was younger, teenage years, and then even into my 20s, I didn't even like myself. Like, I still struggle with it a bit, but if I'm someplace and somebody's watching a video of me or listening to a podcast, the sound of my own voice... I mean, like, I remember going through a phase where I didn't even like myself. How can anybody else like you if you don't like yourself? How can you show love to others if you have such a low self-esteem that you withdraw from everybody? But many people struggle with the phrase, love yourself. They, they say, isn't that, like, narcissistic or something like that? But we've changed it to love your life to make it easier for you. Love God Love other people and love your life because it's a gift that God gave you. Love your life. Jesus said that. And once you love your life, once you love yourself, you are far more able to love your neighbor. And you're also far more able to love God because when you start to appreciate yourself, you start to say, oh, actually, I'm quite a good person. I quite enjoy myself. You know, if I wasn't me, I think I would actually hang out with me. <laughs> Look in the mirror and say, you handsome rascal, you, you know? 
once you start to feel good about yourself, you begin to overflow, and, and you're a joy to be around with others. One of my favorite public speakers in the world today is Paul Scanlon, and this is one of his famous quotes. He says, my best gift to you is a healthy me. I need to take care of me. I need to make sure I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm full of joy, I'm overflowing, and when I'm in that state, I can do wonders for you. But when I'm a miserable, complaining, unhappy, depressed, addicted, uh, dysfunctional person, I'm not much help to you. So if I, if I love my life, I'm able to love you more. And the more and more I enjoy life, the more gratitude and love I can show to God. And so, God comes first. If you want to really get your life out of a rut and out of an unhappy and unhealthy season that you're in and find fulfillment, by fulfilling your purpose? If you want to find that, yes, yeah, about loving yourself. Yes, it's about loving people, but first and foremost, it's about loving God. First of all, Jesus said, love God with your whole being. Then love people as you love yourself. But many people find it difficult to love God. They might believe in God, they might, but they imagine God as like some old guy on a throne a million miles away just north of Ursula Major or something like that, you know, in the outskirts of the galaxy. Instead of God being the invisible supporting presence that is with us always. And it's when we change our image of God that everything in our life changes. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope and all you see is a mess and you turn it a little bit and then all the pieces fall into place and make a beautiful pattern. All the pieces of an amazing life you already have, but maybe they're all a mess. But when you focus, when you turn your focus on God correctly, all of the pieces fall into place. You know, this is an alliance church that's quite a a large family of churches in Canada, and probably Canada's most famous alliance pastor ever was A.W. Tozer. And his books are still read all over the world, and I've got a really great quote by him. He said this, the whole outlook of mankind would be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that God in heaven though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. Wouldn't that change everything? To know that the most loving and most powerful being in the cosmos is your friend? How that turns our life around. You know, today, as we bring this message to a close now, and we're going to pray in just a moment or two. But as we prepare to do that, I just want to challenge each and every one of us to think right now, where is my life? Like, if, if, if here, if this spot here is a happy and fulfilled life, if I am being fulfilled and I feel like I'm fulfilling a life's purpose and, I'm, and my faith in God is alive and my relations with other people are alive, is this where I am? Or am I one step out of sync over here? 
or maybe I'm a way, way over here. Maybe I have got myself into such a state in life, I'm kind of just hiding behind the curtain of life. <laughs> and I don't want to enter in. I don't want to enter into the fullness of life because I've done it before and I've been hurt and I've once bitten, twice shy and I started a business and it failed and I got married and my spouse left me and whatever it may be, do you know that God is the God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a 16,000th chance? I want us to stand together. Let's stand. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you believe in God. You regard yourself as a Christian. But you are still struggling with this thing about life. You think, it's kind of like I've got my insurance policy for heaven when I die but this life, I'm struggling through it. And you know that you need to get out of that rut and begin to fully enjoy your life. And you know that only God can help you do that. As we pray, what we're going to do is we're going to be aligning our life back to where it should be. Bringing our life back under what God always intended it to be. Maybe on the other hand, you've never even put your faith in God before. You've never in, invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, to change you, to forgive you, to make you a new person. That's the first step. Number one is to love God. And to love God, you have to know God and to, you can know God through Jesus. We're going to say a prayer. I want to put it up on the screen first. And I want to, to read it out loud, first of all. And we're going to address God as our Father. So before we start this prayer, we're going to say, Father God. And then we're going to say the prayer together. Let me just point out some things in it. It starts off by saying, we believe that God loves us. He values you. God's got a good plan for your life. God sent his son Jesus for you. When Jesus died on the cross and was laid in the tomb and rose again, through his death and resurrection, you can be forgiven. You can have new life. Then we're going to ask God to forgive us for all of our mistakes, to change us on the inside, to fill our lives with his spirit and his presence. And then we're going to declare that we put our faith and trust fully in God and as we do that as we say that we believe in God and in his son Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and as we're inviting God to be a part of our life and placing our lives back in his hands that is the first step people to get on the right path and from then on it's a day by day journey of discovering who God is who you are and what you're on this world, what you're here for. And that's when you get fulfillment and you are fulfilled by fulfilling your life's purpose. 
Okay, we're going to leave our, keep our eyes open because we're going to read this prayer. We're going to say these words out loud. Think about the meaning of the words with your mind. Be believing what you're saying with your heart. It is our belief that connects us to God, okay? So let's say again, Father God. And let's say this together. I believe that you love me and value me. That you have a good plan for my life. And that you sent your son Jesus for me. Through his death on the cross, I can be forgiven. Through his resurrection, I can have new life. Forgive me, change me, and fill me with your spirit and presence. I put my faith and trust fully in you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church.